Welcome back to another episode of My Mess is My Message. My name is Allie, and I'm very excited to be with you all today. Today on the podcast, I have Lauren Cadillac, who you may also know as the Feel Good Dietitian. Lauren is a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and certified personal trainer. During today's episode, Lauren shares more about her background, including her experience with dieting and calorie counting, and how her experiences led her to pursue her current career. She shares with us how she healed her relationship with food through intuitive eating and explains how someone can get started with implementing this practice. Lauren has incredible advice to those that may be struggling with disordered eating or working on healing their relationship with food, as well as providing things she wishes she knew when she was younger. It is a great episode and I cannot wait for y'all to listen, so let's get into it. Hey Lauren, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm so excited for you to be on. And just if you want to start um, by introducing yourself to the audience, just who you are, how, where you live, and what you currently do. Sure. Um, my name is Lauren Cadillac. I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. I own a private practice, a virtual private practice, where I help individuals all over the world heal their relationship with food. Um, and I currently live in New Jersey. Okay, cool. And you're in Hoboken, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. Because I'm in Manhattan, so we're pretty close. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, we were in Manhattan for the past uh, three years. Well, I guess we moved here in 21, but, um, yeah, we were in the city for a while too. So really close. <laughs> so cool. You probably have a lot more space over there now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but before I get, I have lots of questions about your job as a dietitian, but before we get into that, I'd love to hear just more about your background and maybe what led you to pursue a career as a dietitian. Yeah. So I think like a lot of dietitians, I don't know, uh, if you've had lots of conversations with other dietitians, but um, I think a lot of us kind of get into this field because of our own relationship with food and how that's kind of been a struggle or how it had been a struggle. I know for me, I got really into counting calories and nutrition in general when I was about 14 years old. And looking back, it probably would have met the criteria for anorexia at the time, but I was never really diagnosed. Um, but I, you know, had this. I guess I'd call it obsession with counting calories, cutting calories, working out multiple times a day, um, dieting kind of just throughout high school. And as I know now, when you don't eat enough, your thoughts about food increase. You think about food all day long. And so I was like, let me go to school for this thing. I'm already thinking about it all the time. It felt very much like a hobby to me back then. So I was like, I can go study this. I think Part of me also thought that if I went to school for it, I'd be able to like, quote unquote, figure it out. Like there was some secret recipe formula thing that I just somehow didn't know. And that going to school would fix all of it. I think I also kind of had, uh, I think I probably recognized that what I was doing was a little unhealthy. And by the time I was applying to colleges, I felt I was in a better place with my relationship with food. I don't think I would have met that criteria for an eating disorder anymore, but was still dieting as I think the majority majority of us were and some of us still are. Um, so I really kind of thought, oh, maybe I can help other people too. And that's always been a big driver for me is just wanting to help people. So that's kind of how I got into the field of dietetics is from my own 
relationship with food. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's super helpful just to like know. And I completely agree. I can relate to a lot of your story. I was definitely in a place. So I struggled with different eating disorders as well and just counting calories, obsessing over it, constantly thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I know what you mean when like you're not eating enough. That's when you really start to really think about it too much. Yep. Um, but also, how did you end up like healing your relationship with food? Like, was there any strategies or did you seek help? How did you recover from it? Yeah. So it was kind of a long, bumpy road for me. I actually ended up getting into bodybuilding. Through that, I ended up being diagnosed with uh, bulimia. And it was, like I said, it was a bumpy road, but I actually um, found out about intuitive eating and health at every size through a friend of mine. And it was my first exposure to it. It wasn't something that I learned about in undergrad. Um, and when I learned about it, I was just like, wow, this is the thing that I've kind of been looking for. I always felt like I'd struggle with food for my whole life. And it felt like this gateway to freedom. So I kind of consumed all of the media there was out there from podcasts and books and videos and everything I could kind of get my hands on about intuitive eating. And I just saw how transformative, transformative it was for my life. And it just felt like I need to help other people with this because I know there's people struggling and I know there's other people that feel like they've tried everything and that this can kind of be a way out. Totally. I'm sure like, you know, you're like, I have such valuable information. I need to share it. Cause I was once in that place where it felt like, yeah, like you didn't know what to do, but you just wanted to get help, but you don't know where to turn. And it's just awesome that you were able to find something that helped you. But just for the audience, what is intuitive eating? Well, intuitive eating is a self-care eating framework designed to help an individual heal the relationship with food and reconnect to the cues of their body. It was created by two dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Fresh back in 1995. It's evidence-based, so it's backed by over 125 studies to date, I believe. Um, It's made up of 10 principles, and I can go through them if you'd like. But like I said, they're all about reconnecting to the cues of your body, making peace with food, getting rid of the guilt and the shame, learning to navigate emotional eating, uh, learning how to respect your body, engaging in movement because you enjoy it. And then there's a bit actually about nutrition as well. I think sometimes there's a misconception that intuitive eating is just eating whatever you want, whenever you want, with no regard for how you feel, no regard for nutrition. But that's not true. We talk about nutrition. It's an important thing. So yeah, is that a good summary? Do you want me to dive into anything else more? <laughs> that, no, that's super helpful. But where where would someone begin with intuitive eating? That's a great question. So I would say the first place to start out is just going to intuitiveeating.org. I think it's intuitiveeating.org. Um, that'll bring you to the website of Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, those two authors. And in that you can read about the 10 different principles and you can kind of see like, Hey, does this resonate with me? And then if it does, there's an intuitive eating book that you can read. There's lots of different books out there that talk about intuitive eating, but the intuitive eating book itself is the one that will go through the framework and explain everything about it. It's actually the book that I use with all of my clients when I'm working with someone for my program. Okay, cool. And then what are the 10 principles? If you you don't have to go in depth about each of them, just like briefly what they are. Sure. So principle one is reject the diet mentality. Principle two is honor your hunger. Principle three is make peace with food. Principle four is challenge the food police. Principle five is discover the satisfaction factor. Six is feel your fullness. Seven is cope with your emotions with kindness. Principle eight is respect your body. Nine is movement, feel the difference. And then principle 10 is honor your health with gentle nutrition. 
Okay. That's helpful. And also, so it sounds like you just really like have to get in touch with yourself and what your body needs and what your body wants and just honestly trust it and just eat based on what your body's telling you, which after going through eating disorders, and I know other people can relate to just being in such a disordered habit of eating and exercising, you get really out of touch with that. How does someone rebuild that trust with themselves as well as then trust their body and know when it's okay to eat, when they should stop? Yeah, it is it is a process and not something that because you suddenly learn about intuitive eating, you can say, oh, hey, now I can just listen to these cues. Like you said, there's rebuilding that trust and kind of allowing those cues to come back online. So the first thing that anyone's going to need to do is make sure that they're eating enough, right? Like food is a basic biological need. And if you're not meeting that need, it's hard to do that like higher level thinking, right? With like navigating emotional eating and just more of this like contemplative thought where if you're not meeting your needs, you're very much on that like bottom rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So eating consistently and adequately. And what that can be for some people is if you're working with someone like a dietitian, they might have you on some type of meal plan. You know, the goal is to eventually get you to a place where you're not following a meal plan, but initially that helps you again, meet your body's calorie energy needs, things like that. Um, the way that it's described in the intuitive eating book, I believe it's Evelyn Triboli's analogy, but it's almost like if you have a broken arm, you're going to put a cast on it to allow that arm to heal. And then once the bone has healed, you can remove the cast and maybe do some physical therapy, but use your arm again. Right. And the arm in this example is our hunger and our fullness cues and that trust with our body. So sometimes we need to have a little bit of a cast to help support that rebuilding or that, uh, that trust to come back online. Um, and that cast might look something like an eating schedule. So it's eating three meals, three snacks, not going longer than four hours without eating, making, making sure they're eating consistently. So that's kind of like the first thing that you need to do, because like I've said, five times just now, you need to make sure that your basic need for food is being met. Definitely. I feel like that was when I first started navigating intuitive eating was just like like fueling myself. So not only like, I don't know, just like to get more comfortable eating enough and more frequently, but like I was able to think a lot more clearly too. It's really amazing when you eat enough. It's like you really don't think about it. And the moment you're hungry is like when you start thinking about it again. It's a really good cue. And I know it takes time to get like more in touch with that. But and I also found just like you have to be really patient with yourself as you're exploring intuitive eating, like like we talked about. Like, well, some people like for me, I really wanted a quick fix. I wanted just to eat normal again. But it's when you're kind of stuck in such a disordered habit and out of touch with that, you just have to be patient with yourself. And it's a lot of trial and error. You're it's not perfect. And that's really what you need to emphasize with intuitive eating, because it you I came from like such a perfect, I wanted to eat perfectly. Yeah. And I had to know that it there's no perfect way to eat and you're gonna mess, quote unquote, mess up, or it's like and you just have, it's a lot of trial and error and just a lot of exposure is what I found, just like mm-hmm. exposing myself to things I was super uncomfortable with and take, because the more I exposed it, the less power I gave that food or quote unquote fear food or anything like that. So yeah, it's, I feel like it's such a journey and it takes a while to get in touch with it. But once you are, you're like, wow, this is, it's so worth it at the end. Cause you're like, okay, this made it so much easier and I can enjoy everything I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, it's a, it's it's a process. And like, I think we're so conditioned to expect immediate results. And, you know, all these programs, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, where if you just 
do X plus Y, it'll be Z. And like, it's not a simple math equation. Like humans are so complex and we've all been living in a diet culture our entire lives. So it's going to take time. It's going to take way more than a month or two months or three months. Like it, it takes a lot of time for this really to sink in and to feel automatic. And like you were saying, it's going to feel like you're quote unquote messing up, but there is no messing up with it because the whole point of the process is to get away from black and white, all or nothing, good, bad thinking, like binary thinking. We're trying to think more in the gray, get curious, be compassionate with ourselves and just see every experience that we have as a learning opportunity. Definitely. I like your point about it's not black and white. It's like a gray area. Do you believe, or like, what are your, like, advice to someone who's stuck in calorie counting or just like in a diet mindset, how to unlearn that? Because sometimes it's so ingrained in you and it's really hard to unlearn. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on if that person, I'm assuming you're asking for a person that wants to get out of that mindset. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's really important to just be aware of our thoughts in general. And something that I have some of my clients do when we're going through the challenging the food police principle, sometimes people like doing this. Some people don't like doing this, but giving that voice in your head, a name, whether it's ed, like that might stand for eating disorder. It could just be, um, I don't want to say a name because if someone listening has that name, but maybe you know someone in your life that's like super mean and critical and like you want to give that voice that name, you know what I mean? Like giving it a name and then being able to differentiate between that voice and then your healthy self voice, right? Like that voice is probably trying to have you control your calories, eat less. It's doing that because it's trying to protect you, right? Like this is almost always there's a reason we're acting how we're acting. And in our our culture, we're always taught losing weight is a good thing. People are constantly complimenting weight loss. We want connection as humans. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel loved. And we've really been taught that in order to get that, you look thin, you look pretty, you're small, you're quiet. I'm talking, I I know we get different messages, but it sounds more like the women messages. Um, So recognizing that that voice has good intentions or is trying to protect you, but isn't really serving you. And then starting to get more familiar with that healthy self. And how can you tap into that? Sometimes it can be hard to think of things to say to yourself. So something I always suggest clients do is consider how you might help a friend or a loved one. Usually the way that we talk to other people is so much nicer than what we what we would say to ourselves, right? Like, I don't think you'd probably say to your friend, oh my gosh, I can't believe you ate that many calories. You're such a pig. You're disgusting. Like, you would never say that to your friend or they wouldn't be your friend anymore, right? So starting to develop that kinder inner voice and identifying that that's, that's your healthy, authentic self and that other voice, again, while it's trying to protect you, it's not really serving your highest good. So a lot of it is a lot of mindset work. But as we were saying before, sometimes it's really just pushing through and um, challenging those fears and needing to eat more because if we're not eating enough, we can't think rationally. So definitely. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a, I feel like, like you mentioned, just like identifying that it's not your real like thoughts and just like differentiating the two and choosing the healthy one. I feel like sometimes I still struggle with that. Like I'll be out to dinner with my boyfriend and like the past, like I would never want to go out to eat. So that was like something that was like kind of like quote unquote bad. And that like voice will still come up and I kind of just have to push it down and be like, what do I really want? Do I want to be out to dinner with my boyfriend or 
should I listen to that? So I kind of have to differentiate the two and choose what I really want to do, but it's still hard to differentiate it. And it takes time. Like the more I do it, the easier it's going to become. Exactly. And I always kind of equate, um, intuitive eating and this process to kind of like learning a language. Like if you grew up speaking English, your thoughts are probably going to pop up in English because you've always spoke that language. And now you're trying to learn Spanish or, you know, whatever language it is with intuitive eating and it's new. And it's like, you're not going to learn a language in a week and you're probably still going to think in English because you've always thought that way. So just like it takes that conscious effort of being like, oh, what was that phrase I was going to say again? Like, this is what I'm trying to do now. But I think the compassion piece is the most important part, not beating up on yourself, that those thoughts still pop up, knowing that like, okay, it's just a reaction. Like my brain's just going to think that it's okay. Like I want to go out to dinner. I want to make this memory with my boyfriend. Yeah. And when that happens to also like, look at like, wow, I am out to dinner with a boyfriend. I realize that I do want to be out to dinner with her boyfriend and like kind of congratulate yourself on like, wow, like at least you like to show gratitude for yourself of like how far you've come. And although it's still popping up, like at least you're progressing. Exactly. I think sometimes there's this expectation of like, you'll get to this place where you'll never think that way. You'll never have bad body image days you'll only want vegetables for some reason. Like it's just not going to happen. Like thoughts are going to pop up that are kind of annoying because that's what brains do. You're going to have bad body image days. You're still going to want all different types of food, but you know what? You're going to have the ability to navigate it with a lot more kindness and compassion. And you're going to want all different types of foods in a way that leaves you feeling good. You, you feel like your soul is nourished with some of those play foods, but you also feel like your body is nourished with more of those nutrient dense foods. Definitely. And I know we've talked about just like making sure you're eating enough. So what is are some like advice that you might have for someone that like doesn't know how much is enough to like fuel their body, like how to start building a plate and knowing that like they're eating enough? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think starting off by trying to incorporate carbs, protein, fat at every meal is really important for everyone because we're trying to get away from obviously like counting points and macros and calories, but we also want to make sure that your body is getting all of the three macronutrients that it needs. So that can be a really nice way to make sure that you are getting variety in the macros, but also in the, in the more micronutrients on the plate, um, to make sure that you have that, but also incorporating snacks in between meals as well. Um, and then trying to, I guess, get as much variety as you can. I think it's easy to get stuck in, oh, I'm eating more, but only of these 12 different foods because these feel safe to me, right? So trying to slowly incorporate more of those fear foods, as you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And get like exposed to like things that you're not used to eating, but the um, protein, fat, and carb that I, someone told me that once. And I always think about that when I'm approaching, like building a plate and just, and I've noticed how much more satisfied I am when I incorporate all three of them. Yes. I was, I sent a picture of my plate this morning to my husband and I was like, it's just like, it looks better visually. It's satisfying. Like, you know, I think in the past there's always been like, oh, try to cut this or eat less of that. And then you end the meal. It's like, it's not satisfying. And then you're wondering why you're hungry two hours later. Like it's just so much more enjoyable when you get everything in there. (laughs) It really is. I feel like mentally and physically, Um, but what are some signs that someone might have an unhealthy relationship with food or exercise? And sometimes I feel like people don't think it's bad enough to get help, but when do you think that those signs kind of should, like someone should be getting help professionally? 
Yeah. Well, obviously if someone's engaging in behaviors like um, binging or purging or severe restriction, I think those are pretty obvious signs uh, that someone should get help. But I think it's more people that aren't engaging in those things that are the ones that sometimes think like, do I actually have something to talk to a professional about? Like, is this worth talking about? And I think the problem is that so many behaviors in our culture that wouldn't be considered um, health promoting and maybe tiptoeing the line of disordered are things that are recommended as diet things that you should be doing. You know, like if you're hungry, just drink water or don't eat after seven or, you know, like all of these kind of rules. If you find you're someone that has a lot of rules, you're thinking about food all the time, you're feeling guilty. You're kind of thinking like, if I eat this now, what am I going to eat later? You're canceling plans. You're saying no to things. Um, eating certain foods is deeply distressing. You're finding like, you know, really counting calories or using an app. You feel like if you miss that, it's very stressful on the exercise side of things. If you feel like anxious or upset that you didn't get a chance to work out or you use exercise as a way to burn calories or try to manipulate how your body looks or burn off food that you ate, um, those are all kind of signs that it might be time to just evaluate your relationship with food. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. Working with your clients, what are some ways that you measure their progress? Yeah, that's such a good question because I feel like we're so used to measuring progress on the scale or measuring tape or pant size or whatever. So when I first start working with clients, I have them fill out this pre-program assessment where they're basically setting some goals for themselves, like behaviors they want to be able to do or behaviors they want to stop engaging in, like binge eating or... Um, trying to make up for a meal after they ate something, or maybe they want to say yes to impromptu girls' nights or ice cream or whatever it is. I also have them fill out this little like self-assessment thing, uh, mental and physical health self-assessment, where they're ranking on a scale from one to 10, their sleep quality, their energy levels, their mood, their digestion, their relationship with exercise. And obviously some of those things can be impacted by things outside of our work together. But I think what's so cool is about intuitive eating and the program that I do with my clients is that we aren't just talking about food. We're talking about boundary setting. We're assessing balance in all areas of their life. So we're seeing like, okay, cool. Their digestion improves, which would make sense if we're talking about food and the relationship with food improves, uh, relationship with food improves, but also some of these other things that you might not think would be impacted, but they all, they, they are, because if you're like burning the candle at both ends, if you're saying yes all the time and you already have a full plate, if you are making no time for hobbies or, you know, relaxing or, you know, any of that stuff, it's going to show up in your relationship with food. It's probably going to show up in your sleep. It's going to show up in your relationships. So I like to really measure progress on just how people are feeling, basically how they're feeling. Hence the feel good dietitian thing, <laughs> how people are feeling. And then obviously, you know, their behaviors and uh, relationship to food. Yeah. Before you mentioned that, I was literally going to say, it's just based on how you feel, like get in touch with how you're feeling based on everything that you're like, what you're eating, how, what you're doing with your friends, like what's making you comfortable, what's making you uncomfortable. Yeah. How you feel. Because that's, in my opinion, that's what it comes down to because um, I mentioned earlier that I did bodybuilding and I think we tend to 
assume that health has a look and I achieved a certain look and I felt like absolute garbage. And I remember thinking like, what is the point of all this? If like, you just feel terrible all the time, you know? So that's kind of what I focus on the most now is just like, Hey, how do you feel? What's your body telling you? You know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think a lot of people can agree when like they're at their lowest weight, that's typically when they're most unhappy because they're just so focused on what they look like and they're not nourishing themselves. So they're just like so exhausted. They feel so insecure, self-conscious and like people like glamorize and think that that's when you reach that you're going to be like, feel your best, but it's usually the opposite. Yep. Was that your experience? Oh, a hundred percent. But yeah, definitely when I was like my lowest weight was just when I like was a wreck. It was kind of like pretty much, yeah, my rock bottom. Yeah. And also, cause you did just mention that you and your Instagram handle is feel good dietitian. So I am curious what like a feel good life means for you and like what you do to live a feel good life. Yeah. So I feel very lucky and fortunate to have the life that I have. I've realized through different jobs and things that I am not someone that does well um, working long hours, which I don't think most people are, but, um, this was always kind of like my big vision for myself was having my own business, making my own hours. So I understand that like what my schedule is, isn't what everyone's schedule is. But for me, it means like having good work-life balance. It means doing what I love. I get to work with people. Every time I hang up the call, I'm just like, Oh, I love this so much. So that feels good to me. My relationship with my husband is really great. Um, you know, making time for friends and family, again, eating foods that nourish my body and feel really good. And then also making sure that I'm having foods that I love and they taste good and, you know, celebrating with food and just having a positive relationship with it. Um, making time to explore new hobbies. Um, resting. That was something that, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like we're all taught to just like do more, push harder, produce more, make more money. And like, that's, that's great. Like get that money. But I feel like I'm also at this point where I'm like, I just, you know, I, I love my clients, but my body needs rest and feeling good means, you know, prioritizing sleep, stretching, drinking water, connecting with people, all that good stuff. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I feel like the older we get, like the more we realize that we don't need that much to like live a happy life. But it is awesome that you found like what brings you joy and that you like are able to relate that and like put that into your career as well um, to kind of find that passion and what brings you joy. It's really cool. I feel really fortunate to have this job because I just do because I know not everyone likes their job and I know I've worked plenty of jobs that I have hated. (laughs) So it feels, it feels nice. Yeah, definitely. And then also is if someone is like struggling with kind of like either eating disorders, disorder, eating stuff like that, what are some things that they can communicate to maybe someone they're dating, um, just to help them like get through it a little bit better, how they can be of like support and how that, that remote, their romantic part partner can support them best through this process. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that's where open communication comes in and just having really honest conversations as someone that has struggled with this stuff in the past, I found that people would try to say things that would be helpful and they were always coming from a good place, would even try to compliment me in certain ways, but it just never like it, 
didn't usually do what they intended it to do. <laughs> I'll just say that. So I think having those open, open, honest conversations about like, this is what support would look like for me, because it's going to be different for everyone. Someone might be like, it would mean a lot if you sit with me during meals and just, you know, are there for me. Other people might say, I need you to like check in and ask how I'm doing and how I'm feeling, or, you know, give me words of affirmation, say that I'm really proud of you. Um, other people might ask and say, I don't want you to say anything. Don't comment at all. So I think it's just communicating your needs and what it is that you want from your partner. And I would think that like, if you're in a healthy relationship, they'll be receptive to that. <laughs> Definitely. I completely agree. And it's like the, your partner will never know how best they can help you unless you communicate it to them. So yes. And like you said, it, hopefully they will reciprocate based on what you tell them. But yeah, I also love the phrase, um, I don't remember where I heard it, but it's uh, like, do you want support or do you want solutions? Because I think in in like man-woman relationships, there's a tendency for men to like want to offer solutions. And I know at least for me, I'm like, I just want you to listen to me. <laughs> Let me bitch about this. <laughs> like, you know, like I just want support. I just want to like be heard. I don't need you to fix anything. So I think sometimes like, sharing that with the partner and then the partner can ask, okay, what is it you want right now? Do you want support or do you want solutions? Definitely. I know. I completely agree. I feel like you just have to also be with someone who's very understanding and patient and can like work with you on it. Cause it's, I feel like sometimes with my boyfriend, I'm like, it's just like, he's very patient and understanding, which I appreciate. And I don't think I could be like kind of overcoming all of this that I've gone through with just anyone. So yeah, yeah it definitely takes a certain type of person. Um, but also I think that's kind of a good indication of it brings a, a good thing up where like life's going to happen and there's going to be challenging moments. Right. And like maybe down the road, there is, I don't know, a big change in career or there's a death of a loved one or whatever. And eventually there's going to need to be that communication and that support. And if it's not there, that might be something to think about. <laughs> Definitely. Agreed. And then also, so I know just like, I feel like there's all, so much messaging and as like once I become a parent and just other parents, like you don't want to maybe instill any of like the disordered eating or like habits like to them, like any like advice to parents or just things that like they can do to parent that don't create like disordered eating or disordered habits for their kids. Yeah, I think modeling behavior is the number one thing. And I'm just saying this as a professional, not as a parent yet. Um, there's lots of different intuitive eating mother <laughs> parent accounts that you can follow to for different advice. Um, but I think modeling behavior is the most important thing. Obviously, if your kids see you picking apart your body, talking neg negatively about your body, going on a diet, not eating certain foods, you know, like they'll, they'll notice that, you know, even if you don't say anything out loud. Kids are really smart and they pick up on it. And then obviously, as far as things that you're actually saying, you know, not commenting on bodies, um, not commenting on how much someone's eating in a way of like, oh my gosh, you're going to eat all of that. You know, just keeping it very neutral around food. And I think it's really, you know, it's got to be tough as a parent. You want to make sure that your child is healthy and getting what they need. Um, you want to make sure that they are 
happy in school and all of those things. So there's all these different pressures on parents, I would imagine, but kids are intuitive eaters. They, we all come into this world as intuitive eaters. And if, um, we allow them to stay connected to that, they will. If you, have you heard of Ellen Sater, Satter's, um, what is it? Division of, division of responsibility, something like that. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Division of responsibility. So it's basically like the parent's role is to, um, provide the food when we're eating. And then for them, it's to decide what they want to have and how much. So again, just kind of keeping it neutral. But if, if anyone with kids is listening right now, Ellen Sater division of responsibility might be something to check out too. And there's other books about, raising intuitive eaters. I think one is actually called how to raise an intuitive eater at the end of the book that I mentioned earlier, just the intuitive eating book. There's a section on that as well, but again, it kind of comes back to just letting them stay connected, not forcing food on them. I mean, if you think about all the things we probably heard, just do the opposite. No, I'm just kidding. You know, like the clean plate club, you can't have dessert until you finish that, you know, like it kind of encourages it places more value on that thing that they're not allowed to have until they finish their food. So sometimes people like serving dessert with dinner, um, but there's all different approaches that you can kind of like look into with those different resources. Yeah, no, that's all really good advice. And I feel like, yeah, just creating no food rules because like you said, kids are intuitive already. So, like you just have to be careful because I feel like kids are just so receptive and you don't realize like even like the smallest things you might say or do, like actually like they'll like receive it or just like, yeah. So you just have to be careful. Yes. I also just created this like deck of affirmation cards for kids. They're called feel good flashcards for kids. And they go through these like little affirmations that kind of teach kids about nutrition, but in an age appropriate way, saying things like food gives my brain energy to think and energy to play. And it helps me grow. So you can still talk to them about the benefits of nutrition, but without it being like, don't eat this and sugar is bad. And some of those things that could kind of backfire a little bit. <laughs> Definitely. Are there any like wellness myths or well, just wellness things out there that bother you or you just like would call out? I mean, there are so <laughs> many, but <laughs> I think just like wellness information being acquired through social media in general is really annoying to me because there's people that have huge platforms sharing very harmful advice and it just sounds really convincing <clears throat> or the person that's giving it has a certain body type and <clears throat> it's just, it's dangerous is what it is. Like legally, if you're not a dietitian, you should not be giving diet advice, period. Like it's not legal. So it's just bothersome to me that that's what's happening because I know it's, I know it's causing harm for people. I know for me, I saw like, I I'm 32. So for me, I was always seeing magazine covers and, you know, things in TV, but like, I wasn't exposed to social media back then. So I can't even, and I still developed an eating disorder. I grew up with a healthy relationship with food in my house. Like I was never put on a diet, but I still ended up with one. So I just can't even imagine like with all of these other messages that people are receiving Facetune, you can like edit your body, like, and it's just, yeah. So social media wellness advice, I'll just put it there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, it really is really dangerous. I mean, I remember at one point I had gained some weight and I wanted to lose it and I didn't really know how to. So I turned to the internet and just kind of 
went off what I saw on the internet and I try to like consume as much to kind of get a better understanding. But like, like you said, if they're not like a professional giving you the, the advice, you should definitely not take it because, mm-hmm. and everyone's body is so different and everyone, yeah. So exactly. it can be very da- damaging. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even that like it might not work. Like it could cause harm, right? It's, it, could cause, it could lead to an eating disorder. It could lead to a deficiency. It could put you in the hospital. Like I've heard so many stories of people being like, oh yeah, I started following this protocol or that protocol. And I ended up with a kidney stone or I had to go to the emergency room, like big stuff Mm -hmm. in people's lives and their health. Yeah. Are there any like things regarding nutrition or wellness that you wish you knew like back when you were younger? I think I just wish I knew more about that having a healthy relationship with food was important. I think there's always just this focus on like what to eat, what not to eat, but never this question of like why we eat and all of the thoughts and beliefs and the stuff that's underneath the surface. And I also wish I knew that like food and exercise are not the only two things that influence health. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that social determinants of health pie chart, but it's like, 36% or 40% is individual behavior. And within that 40% is like six different things. One's like diet, exercise, wearing a seatbelt, I think, gun use, whatever, things like that. So like diet and exercise only make up two parts of the 40%. And then there's all these other things like socioeconomic status, access to healthcare, like all of these things that aren't really in your control that influence health, but we're just really taught that like eat, eat right and move more and then you'll be healthy. And it's like, wait, no, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. And like how like relationships are so beneficial for your health and sunlight and like reducing stress and sleeping more. Is there any other things that you like, like, like are any ways to like control stress or ensure that you're sleeping enough or just like any other things to call out regarding the other components besides exercise and nutrition? Yeah. I feel like this idea of like calming our nervous system is something that I've just personally been exploring a lot more. I feel like so many of us are always living in like fight or flight because of the, I don't know, the way that our culture is designed of, we work a lot of hours. There's a lot of like pressure of things to do. You know, how many years ago it was like the man would work, the woman would do the housework. And now like everyone's working and nothing's getting done. And like, things are just really different. I think there's a lot more demands. The technology has allowed people to do more and be more accessible. And I think we're just kind of always in this fight or flight mode. And so I think just what we can do to calm ourselves and to tap into that parasympathetic tone, rest and digest, I think that's a really helpful thing. Um, Because if you're always living in that fight or flight like stress is like one of the worst things for us, right? Like we know that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like slowing down and like, I know people have talked about meditating through like personally, mine was like, I felt like slowing down and like praying. That was kind of the way that I got in touch with myself a lot more. And like, like you said, we're always constantly trying to do like what's next, like do everything. And we never take a moment to actually like breathe and like be with ourselves. And I feel like trying to get back to like a little bit of intuitive eating, like that allowed me to get a lot more in touch with what I wanted because I was constantly moving. I didn't give myself enough time to like think about what I wanted or what I should actually do next. So slowing down is like very underrated because it brings a lot of benefits. For sure. And I think what's so powerful about intuitive eating is that it teaches you to do that and allows you to really get in touch with your body's needs and not just like what your body needs as far as food goes, 
but everything else, right? Like I'm feeling really anxious right now. I'm feeling really angry or frustrated right now. Like, what is it that I need? Like, I really need to have a difficult conversation. I really need support. I really need to take a nap. I really need to, I don't know, call a friend or something and like get your actual needs met instead of covering it up by dieting and trying to control or covering it up by eating something or, you know, covering it up by working that much more. Like maybe I need to actually sit with my emotions or talk to a therapist or something like you, you get to more of that core than you would if you never slowed down. Definitely. And I, at one point I struggled with binge eating and it it was the most, it was a hard, one of the hardest things I had to overcome because it was hard for me to get an understanding of what was like causing it. And I got, eventually got to the point where I was like, so what's kind of like stop myself before I would go and binge and like be with myself. And that's when I started to like allow myself to listen to like what my body actually needed in that moment. Most of the time it was never food or a lot of the time it was never food. It was a lot of like stress or overwhelm. And instead of like, instead of going to the kitchen to like binge on something in the moment, I would like be with myself and kind of ask for direction or just like sometimes the direction was to just like relax and be in that moment and breathe. But I try to like just implement that in my days now, like when I wake up, like kind of asking for guidance for like the next thing to do and not like thinking about, oh my gosh, I need to get all this done before like end of day. It's more just like, what should I do first? And just taking it moment by moment. Yeah. I think that's one of the main takeaways of intuitive eating is just increasing your mindfulness throughout the day and being more intentional, being aware of your thoughts, checking in with yourself. Obviously that's like getting in touch with your intuition, but pausing, taking time again, just going back to that slowing down thing. Like it's about being more intentional and less reactive. And again, that can be really hard if you're in that fight or flight mode and sometimes doing different techniques to help get you out of that can be helpful because um, it might feel like pausing isn't accessible, but it, slowing down is the, is the takeaway here. <laughs> if we can definitely also just, if you want to let the audience know where you can find like all about your program. Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm feel good dietitian. That's with T's. There's no C's in there. Feel good dietitian. Sometimes people spell it weird. Um, I'm also on TikTok, and then my website's laurencadillac.com. In the past, I've done group coaching and I do one-on-ones, but I'm not currently doing groups anymore. So I work with clients over the course of five months to help them master the intuitive eating framework. So that's on there. If anyone's looking for one-on-one support, you can fill out an application. I have some other tools and resources on my website as well. Like I mentioned those flashcards, I have some different spreadsheets and posters and things on my Etsy page. So kind of try to sprinkle a little bit of everything in there for people. I also have a couple other courses. Um, If you don't feel like you need help with the entire intuitive eating framework, I have a course called feel your fullness. That tends to be a principle that a lot of people kind of struggle with. So I've created a course um, to help you reconnect with that. And then I also have a self-taught version of my one-to-one coaching that's at a lower price point to try to make that more accessible for more people. And that is everything that you would get working one-on-one with me. And it's a really great program. So that's all my stuff. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing. I highly recommend everyone follow you because I really, really like your Instagram. That's where I follow you on. But um, before I let you go, I always ask two questions at the end. The first being, what is something you do every day that brings you joy? I play with my dog. No question. Like I'll lay with my dog. She'll give me a hug first thing in the morning. I sit down on the floor. I have a golden retriever. like a big dog. So she'll come over and she'll like nuzzle her head in my chest and like, like she's asking for a hug. It's just the sweetest thing. So I do that every day. <laughs> oh, I love that. And then what is your favorite quote or piece of advice? Hmm. 
you know, there's one quote that I always kind of say to myself. It's it's an Abraham Hicks quote. It's like, everything is always working out for me. That's just something I try to remind myself. Like, it doesn't always seem like that on the surface, but in the grand scheme of things, like, everything's always working out for me. It's kind of like that lucky girl syndrome thing that's going around on TikTok. <laughs> no, I really like that. Life like it's like life is happening for you. It's not happening to you. Everything that's happening, the good and the bad is for your benefit in the end. So that's a great one. I really like that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being on. It was so fun having you on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.